0: Welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the Thoughtful Book Club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Today we are here to recommend to you, our dear listeners, a work of nonfiction. It's an essay collection called Pandora's Jar by Natalie Haynes. It is a essentially a feminist analysis of Greek myths, though it does a couple of things more than that, but that's I would say that's like the baseline <laughs> summary of it. Um, and it's definitely yeah. nonfiction. We mistakenly thought for a second that this was actually retelling Greek stories. It's definitely not. No, this is, this is essays. <laughs> this is analysis. This is scholarship. So that's what we'll be discussing. Uh, if you've never listened to the podcast before, you've picked a perfect place to start. Because our book recommendation episodes are broad overviews that only take about 25 minutes. In this episode, we'll try and persuade you to read the book with us and sort of summarize what makes it interesting, what makes it worthwhile, see if you might be into it. And so, yeah, no spoilers, no need to... You know, go back and check out the book and then come back and listen later. Like This is for people who have no clue what this book is. So we'll be describing it and recommending it. Um, We have uh, social media feeds up so again, if you've never listened to our show before thank you for checking us out and follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want to keep up with what we're doing. We have um, social media accounts there under the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all just one word so Facebook and Instagram, follow us there to see what we're up to and what we're doing and if you can rate and review us on any podcast platform, that always helps a ton we appreciate you doing that. And uh, let's get to the book, shall we, Amanda? You chose this one. Um, should I read from the cover first, or do you want to talk about why you chose it first?
1: You can read the cover first.
0: I guess it is the more basic thing. I should probably start there. Um, <clears throat> First couple first couple thoughts, and this is just from the cover itself. Also, this is under literary criticism now. I see that in the bottom right, so <laughs> there we go. Anyway, the tellers of Greek myths, historically men, have routinely sidelined the female characters. When they do take a larger role, women are often portrayed as monstrous, vengeful, or just plain evil, like Pandora. Blamed for causing all the world's suffering and wickedness when she opened that forbidden box. But as Natalie Haynes reveals in Ancient Greek Myths, there was no box, it was a jar, which is far more likely to tip over than them skipping pandora's jar brings nuance and care to millennia old myths and legends and asks the question why are we so quick to villainize these women in the first place and so eager to accept the stories we've been told so it is definitely you know not reimaginings in terms of creative reimaginings but it's it's rereadings it's you know let's translate this again let's look at multiple sources instead of just one source let's look at the original plays and compare the authors against (laughs) each other and all that kind of thing um why did you pick this one this was your pick
1: um, I was looking for something that was nonfiction, um, and what drew me to this book is um, that it, was, it said women in the Greek myths as part of the title, and I was like, yeah. huh, that's interesting because I, you know, when I think of the women in the Greek myths, they're, they're not uh, very dynamic in a lot of ways, so I was very interested in right. how she would interpret that.
0: Yeah, well, and, and I think you got your money's worth then, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, she really yeah digs into many different myths and focuses on many different heroines and side characters and all kinds of things. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let's get to our segments to see if this book is worth reading. Let's get these listeners a recommendation, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. First segment, our <laughs> rapid-fire recommendations. This is when we each fill in the uh, blank prompt, you should read this book if... Amanda, why don't you start us off?
1: Uh, you should read this book if you want something scholarly but
0: approachable. Yeah, she nails it, doesn't she? Like, friendly. Yeah. It's uh, the adjective we settled on when discussing it was lively. That was from another book mm-hmm. review. And, yeah, it's just a very welcoming, kind of lively guide. But it is scholarly. So it is. <laughs> it's is—it's not yep, light it's work. It's academic. <laughs> yeah, it's not light work, but it is approachable work. So um, you should read this book if you just love Greek mythology.
1: Yeah, or, or if you don't, because I also, I don't like Greek mythology, uh, but I still enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> how about this then? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil my last one. I I wrote that on purpose. I was wondering how you'd react to it. My final one is: you should read this book if you enjoy feminist literary criticism, because you might not like Greek mythology, Amanda. But would you say that describes you?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy feminist literary criticism because I, I like to see different viewpoints. I would also yeah, yeah. any any new take on anything this old. I'm always interested in in kind of, I even read, here's my guilty pleasure. I enjoy reading um, Jane Austen, like these sequels that are not written by Jane Austen and that are like super modern. They're often terrible. But I just I find myself drawn to them because I love to see how other people interpret characters and stuff like that. So
0: definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That was what Amanda's <laughs> masters focused on, too. For for new listeners, that's why <laughs> she's a, she's an Austin Austinite. I don't know what the what are the scholars of Austin called? Austinites. Austin, that's what yeah, we're Austinite. calling it yeah, yeah. Um The point of me bringing those two up is like, I guess what I'm trying to suggest with those two fill in the blanks is like, I don't think a person who doesn't care about criticism or scholarship should read this it, it is just too difficult for that imaginary person like right i just yeah if you're looking for like a rip roaring interesting story take like this is this is work to read this it's good work it's yeah. fun like interesting work it's like i thought well written and lively but it's not yeah that's why i chose those two i just wanted to be clear um yeah anyway uh what about for one of yours Um,
1: You should read this if you are interested in how myths have morphed over time
0: definitely the comparison work she does is some of the most interesting too and how she dives into the original plays as it turns out the greeks you know as as with any myth they didn't tell one version hey surprise like you <laughs> you have to do a lot of comparison to try and unpack and understand what something means or how people reacted to it like it's there are a lot of different versions going around and so yep. the ones we choose and don't choose are telling uh, i think you should yep. read this book if you love a wikipedia deep dive
1: Ooh, that's that's nice I had not thought of that yeah I think that's that's a yeah that's a good one Uh, you should read this book if you think language is super important
0: oh yeah let me just pile on then I think you should read this book if you think translating (laughs) languages is fascinating if you love like foreign language (laughs) like translation Um, it's just so much of the book it is and some of the best parts I'd say
1: yeah Yeah, the most interesting for sure. Um, You should read this book if you think it's important to study the portrayal of women in literature.
0: Yeah, so I and I, I like, like to because I put enjoy that type. But, yeah, even if you're just intrigued by the lens at all or if, you're, if you've are if you read some analyses you liked or didn't from that angle, this is a pretty thorough example. So I, I do think that mm-hmm. helps a ton. I think you should read this book if you skipped your college undergrad classes for Western Civilization.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Because it also goes through like the the different times mm-hmm. um, so you've got <laughs> you've got your ancient greek but then you've also got your modern lit so yeah that's nice um you should read this book if you think freud is a croc
0: <laughs> <laughs> she really gave up on that attack didn't she though like we i kind yeah, of in thought in the second the f- half yeah, yeah th- i thought in the first half of the book that freud would just be her go-to punching bag but she yeah she doesn't rely on that you know too heavily so <laughs> Yeah that's funny Well she definitely is not interested in how men Interpret women well actually no she, she Is interested in that but just doesn't she's not Settling you know she's not going to settle for the right. First way that a man would interpret a woman uh, Character mm-hmm. um, yeah Well well said those are our rapid fire Recommendations let's jump to our pop culture Touchstone this is our next segment this is a More in-depth comparison we're going to give you so We're going to you know compare the reading of this book To something else from culture pop culture it Could be anything any media any whatever we want. Uh, Amanda has to go first because her, hers is correct. So she just cracked she cracked the code <laughs> on this one. So <laughs> I'll go second because mine is reaching, but you, you can go ahead, Amanda.
1: My, I was just being lazy with mine. Um, so I said that it's like the game Telephone because it is.
0: Um, <laughs> yes, it, so it, it is that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I mean, her whole um, argument is that... Um, you know over time we get these different retellings and those retellings are um, indicative of our mindset as a culture and so because you know uh, myths are as she points out a, a mirror of ourselves in our, in our time so with the game telephone you know it changes with each person but also the way it changes with each with each person can be pretty telling about that person's mindset um, which is pretty interesting but also like It's a game. So it's meant to be lighthearted. It's meant to be fun. And this book is pretty lighthearted, despite being very academic.
0: Yeah, and she doesn't get, even when some of the stories are horrific and some of the incidences are really intense, and you know, uh, uh, you being the, the listener, I'm assuming, my assumed listener, I'm sure you know at least a couple broad things that happen in Greek mythology and, like, they're all, they're never great and they're <laughs> pretty violent and intense and everything, and so, like, yeah, she, she deals with that stuff in a pretty approachable, friendly way. Like, she doesn't dwell on some of the horrors, though she acknowledges them, and I think one of her main points, too, that she makes is, like, a lot of the male retellings, like, they just don't want to think about the horrific things that happen to women which also means it strips the women of their complexity and their kind of like dynamics because it's just like well for example if you don't want to talk about rape then like by taking that out you kind of deeply change the female character and so it's like well if you're not going to mention that that happened like what does that do to the story and how we read that character so anyway it is kind of a critical thing but no telephone is that's it this is like it's like watching a person unpack historical telephone and um A thoughtful, intellectual way. (laughs) So yeah. <laughs> my two comparisons, though, are just the films I thought of with, that have this phenomena. But it's Rashomon and Hero. Hero is like a jetly Li action movie. But these are just two stories, yeah. and Rashomon's like a um, Japanese cinema classic. They're just stories that tell the same thing from different points of view. Like, they retell yeah. the same events and incidents from, like, different characters have different perspectives and different biases and are trying to influence things in different ways. And so you're left at the end to kind of interpret it yourself, to be like, well, Hero mm-hmm. actually doesn't do that, but Rashomon does. Where you're like, I don't actually know what happened. Like, I guess I'll just have to piece it together and try and resolve this in some way. Um, Hero actually just does tell you what really happened. But anyway, the the literary device is the same, which is yeah, same events, different point of view, and this is that, but just in an intellectual way. It's an academic version.
1: I think those are excellent examples for sure. Right? It's the I. Had- I was trying to be like you and trying to think of, like, movies or stories where they use this, and I was just drawing a blank, and I was like, damn it, I'm going to go with telephone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, you settled on the right one. It's just such a—it's something everyone knows, too. That's the thing. It's like one of those charming elementary school games that literally every American kid has played. Uh, And hopefully other cultures, too. Our international listenership is not—I don't think they exist, so (laughs) we've got to cultivate that. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's, I think— well chosen. Um, You also just must not have watched Hero a thousand times in high school as I did, so that's probably why you couldn't remember. (laughs) You didn't own the DVD and watch it, you know, like every week. So, take that. Uh, Yeah. Let's move to the scripted pitches. This is just what it sounds like. We've each prepared a 200-word or so scripted paragraph or two just about why you should read this, what makes it memorable. It gives us a chance to actually edit some thoughts and prepare some things in advance so we get some clear thoughts out there and have something prepared. Uh, I guess I'll go first. I feel like I've put it on you today, so I'll take this one on first. Here's my scripted pitch for Pandora's Jar. Listener, do not make the same mistake, which I put in quotes, uh, we did, and read Pandora's Jar because you believe it is a rewriting of Greek myths or humorous commentary. Uh, while both are present, so, so there are definitely some jokes and in, in humor, and there are lots of summaries of plays, wouldn't call them rewritings, but summaries, neither is what is primarily... This book succeeds at doing I guess is what I'd say Neither of those are like The thing I would sell this book on um, Instead it is a feminist analysis Of said myths Which to be fair The back cover does address So it's like I think I think I in my mind Just built this up in a way That this is just not the thing I thought it was going to be um, mm-hmm. Set your expectations to academia So deep consideration About the nature of Ancient Greek translation Thoughtful use of ancient art Including frescoes and pottery She loves e- analyzing art <laughs> And compare and contrast expectations exercises with a variety of greek plays and greek authors some of whom she really admires and and likes like euripides um It's interesting and relatively approachable, but that's what it's doing. It is an academic exercise, um, and I I enjoyed it. If there's an obvious criticism to leverage, and I brought this up on the book clubs, it is for me the fact that so many of her points can be sort of simplified to the same two core issues, which one is that the women of Greek mythology were just not given as much attention in the original versions, and so we have to project onto them, and and that's how history has treated them, like we interpret them because there's not much to interpret. Um, So that's one point. And then the other is that the gods are actually just to always blame, and the Greeks just don't. They just kind of gloss over it in the drama. Like If you chase the cause and effect back to the source, it's like, yeah, it's just the gods again, doing every, making every mistake, causing every problem. Um, and I think those are valid points. I think maybe she resolves to those more often than I wanted, but anyway, that summary does do a disservice to her solid scholarship, of course, um, but I feel that in the final few essays I was growing a bit impatient with her deep readings just because I really started to see that either of those two points could resolve a lot of her complex arguments that like, and she does do really thoughtful, close readings, but anyway, that, that did start to bug me at the end. So those are my kind of criticisms of it. But in terms of her thesis, like her goal, which is to give more deep consideration to the women of Greek myth and like put them on footing with the men. It's a very strong success. It's really interesting. She has some great close reads that are worthwhile. Just know what you're getting into though. It's a work of scholarship and it deserves a academic level of attention
1: yeah um good good call on pointing out that it is academic and not an actual fiction work which we had thought it was um yeah i feel like i
0: called it that a couple times i don't know why
1: yeah and i thought that it would be funnier i suppose um because they make a point in the back to say that she is a stand-up comic so i was like oh this will be really interesting then um but that just helps lend to its lively tone overall. Um, yeah.
0: it's It doesn't have a lot of zingers. Yeah. Probably for better, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. I don't think I need to read uh, some of these really intense, serious stories filled with, like, bad one-liners, so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't, I did not get, um, uh, I was, I was, not what was the word that you used, um I wasn't disappointed. I wasn't getting impatient with her deep reading. Um, that's in the yeah, that was half. the word I said, yeah, in the
0: second half yeah. yeah,
1: but um, but yeah, I could see how how that would occur i mean with with these academic readings, too, it's I mean, it's common for them to to really just hone in on two points and just like keep repeating themselves about stuff like I mean, when we read mm-hmm. Foucault. Like I mean that, that could have been distilled in like two paragraphs. I feel like.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's no. also oh, tough. Yes. I know, because we never recorded about that. That was just something we did in in real life, <laughs> um, yeah. real book club. But yeah, there. <sighs> It's tough with academic writing because some of it is so clearly not meant for the public. And I think this is. It's tough. I know in my own, in the fill in the blanks we started with, I know I kind of made the point to say, this isn't meant for a person off the street just being like, I picked up a book on the ground and now I'm going to read it. Like, I think you have to have some intentionality if you're going to read this. But then again, it is miles, that's not a comparison for readability, but it is miles more readable Mm -hmm. than like other academic stuff we've read. So, for sure. yeah, big kudos yeah. for that.
1: Definitely. Um, I'll go ahead and do mine. Um Do you love Greek classics or the remakes of those classics like Percy Jackson? Then you should definitely read this book. There's a lot of analysis of both the old myths and the retellings of those myths, as well as some art depiction throughout the ages. If you're not into myths, but you are interested in how women are portrayed in literature, especially in how those portrayals have changed over time, this is still for you. Haynes does a uh, a great job following the thread of how certain female Greek characters evolve over time in media. If none of that really appeals to you, but you just want some nonfiction to round out your reading list, then hey, give this work a try. Haynes offers insight, humor, and a variety in her discussion of these Greek mythological figures. And by variety, I mean she has art pieces, she has different pieces of evidence, she's got different myths, um, she's got different approaches to those myths, whether it's to analyze the the language itself or, or whatever. She goes from minute details, I loved her dissection of language, to grand thematic elements hmm. while still maintaining a conversational tone. This read is nothing like a textbook. Haynes infuses her personality and sense of humor throughout the book to make this read really approachable despite being an actual piece of scholarship.
0: Yeah, do we do we need any other sentence other than this is nothing like a textbook? Because, yeah, it's, it's the <laughs> thing textbooks hope they could be. But then again, we we pr- yeah. we. Fane with textbooks some kind of objectivity, you know, at least in the tone and the style it's supposed to be neutral, objective right. and stuff. And like, be by not having to pretend, this book is just more interesting. <laughs> it's like, exactly. yeah, you learn a lot. You're going to pick up on a ton of things about myths and, and myth writing and originals that you would have no clue of otherwise. But then again, it's like, yeah, it's very opinionated. It's, yep. which is good. <laughs> it should be. exactly So
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, very well said. Any other thoughts on this one? Nope. I'm good yeah I think that was well said and that's that is the sentence um and I'm glad we hit on the humor too it's I don't know again I ended up feeling torn about it just because it's like there are some jokes in it and like she does really try at times to not try she does succeed at times of like putting in some kind of approachability and fun and humor but also I just yeah I just cannot recommend this and say it's funny like it's it's a lot of things I just yeah it just never felt right to like have that be this the selling point um Mm-hmm. But hopefully that hasn't come across too negative Because I, I enjoyed it a lot And I think her writing style is to be to be admired Because it's, yeah. it is cool how she pulled it off uh, Let's jump to our final segment then We've talked about the book a lot Let's actually just read from it This is our quote from clarification section Where we each literally read a quote from the book That we think represents something critical about it Something important about the writing and the style uh, I guess, should I go first? I guess I just went
1: Yeah, go ahead and do it
0: My quote is from the Helen of Troy section, so we should say that the essays are just focused on different women, so I'm reading from the Helen section, Um, and this is a paragraph about Helen. It says, a beautiful a beautiful fresco of the same scene was uncovered in Pompeii in 2018 on the Via del Vesuvio. The story was so popular among the Romans, in fact, that they used it to decorate mass produced lamps. The Pompeian fresco shows a decidedly sneaky looking swan nestled in beside a rather worried looking Leda, her brown eyes wide. His webbed foot is balanced on her naked left thigh, and archaeologists believe the image would have decorated a bedroom wall. Well, if not there, then where? And that's when um, Zeus is sneaking in. In, in the form of a swan to impregnate Leda. That's where Helen comes from. Just some background, so I could see why that wouldn't make sense. Um, this, to me, though, I'm not going to pat myself on the back too hard, but this is the consummate Haynes paragraph, though, Amanda. Well, yep. What do we have? Yep. We have artistic we interpretation. Yeah,
1: at the end. Yeah, yeah, oh,
0: yeah. So let's start there, then. She ends the paragraph with a little bit of a joke. Nothing uproariously funny, but it's witty and kind of insightful. She loves that. That trick, that like rhetorical trick loves ending a serious paragraph or like scholarly paragraph with a joke. So there's that. Um, there's also she opens with art, interpretations of artwork and like Greek art, pottery, etc. She loves doing that too. That bolsters a lot of her arguments. It's like how these things are portrayed or how often they are. And you also just learn a cool factoid. So you get a little bit of everything. It's, I will say the only thing that paragraph didn't have was her actual kind of like, what does this mean for the woman? What do we learn about her? What can we infer right. about their truth? Like it's, I didn't pick one that maybe she could have done that better um but it does so much (laughs) where i was like i was flipping through quickly and i was like you know that paragraph really does encapsulate some things so yeah if that if that paragraph intrigues you it's a short one too but a lot of the other ones are more dense but like that's kind of what she's doing um that that i think represents it well
1: yeah and i think that's that's a great uh piece to showcase her her overall approachability the tone Um, of this book and yeah
0: it's great that's a good one yeah hopefully emblematic of the of the style
1: yeah Um, I chose mine from Pandora so this is from page 23 the Athenian ideal espoused in Pericles' funeral oration in 431 BCE was that women should aspire never to be talked about either in terms of blame or praise the greatest virtue in other words that an Athenian woman could aspire to was not to be registered almost not to exist. It is a gratifying quirk of Pericles' character that he can make this speech while living with the most famous, or perhaps notorious, woman in Athens, one mentioned by everyone, from comedians to philosophers, Aspasia. Thankfully the hypocrisy of censuring women's behavior in general, while maintaining an entirely different set of standards for the actual women you know, has now died out. Um so I, <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> the classic end <laughs> the
1: classic ending you get that snark right there at the end um, so yeah I chose it because of the snark um, it shows the approachability but we also get some of that scholarship again where she is analyzing uh, Pericles and we see that it's from 431 BCE and you're just like Dang, that's a long ass time ago. Um, yeah, and then and how that um, that ideal, the ideal that the ideal woman is to never be talked about, whether it is for blame or praise, but to just be a non figure. Right, how that has affected the story of Pandora and how um the retellings have been affected by that so which goes towards her her main point overall
0: yeah and i think did you find the final chapter to be maybe one of the more important ones too cuz it the final one is it's penelope right she's considered yeah. to be by many like ah this is what the greeks think women should be this is their idealized right. woman but then you know she she finds her own way to complicate that too to Add some, some like yeah. interesting interpretations to that and yeah, never going to accept the, the simplest explanation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah, a well chosen one too. And I think the at the in the first half my thought was like, man, is the Pandora's jar example really worth the title? Is it like really that interesting to be the title? But in the end I think it's yeah, it's like I'm glad she leads with that one. It makes her points yeah. well. Like I think it it represents what she's trying to do. So, yeah, in the end it's like, oh yeah, it was successful. I could see why she chose that one. It's yeah. it's and it is almost a colloquialism in at least in American English for sure. So like yeah, that phrase is just so well known. Can't really. Yeah. Anyway, can't blame her for starting with that one. Um, That's Pandora's Jar. Any final thoughts on this book? Thoughts about reading Uh, it? Thoughts about finishing it?
1: I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm glad that we got through this one.
0: Yeah, my take on this will be, my final thought will be that these are the kinds of essays that I love. Reading a book of them, I think, wore on me a little. I think I Mm -hmm. love reading stuff like this when it is a great essay. When it's 10, I, I would say it wore on me a little, but like well worth engaging with and i and i really enjoy this type of thinking and writing but um yeah doing a book amount was like definitely took some i don't know motivation at the end to be like "Ah, all right two more you know like ah, anyway hopefully not as negative as that sounds because some of it was excellent very insightful um, great that's, that's Pandora 's Jar by Natalie Haynes. Hopefully, listener, we persuaded you um, as always that's what our hope is. If we failed to do so, then we apologize and we'd be back at it again in two weeks with a new book. <laughs> if you're going to read this one with us, then keep an eye on the podcast feed. We post our book club episodes every Friday, so check back at the feed check back in the feed on Fridays to see what book clubs we're posting and keep up with us that way. Um, Amanda, do you want to talk about the next three books after this one in case this one is yeah. not uh, intriguing?
1: Next up, we have Civil Warland and Bad Decline by George Saunders, um, which is short stories in a novella. Yep. Then we have To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf, which is a classic novel. And then we have King Leopold's Ghost* by Adam Hawksh... Hochsch- Herxchild, Hawkschild. Let's go with Hawkschild.
0: Hawkschild. <laughs> Which we'll sort out the pronunciation for before we read it, maybe. Yes. <laughs> I'll Google it. I'll try and find a YouTube video of someone introducing him at a lecture and, you know, do there what we, we can. can. Yeah. Excellent. Um, Again, any ratings or reviews you can leave us on a podcast platform helps a ton. We appreciate those. And check us out, like I said, all one word on Facebook and Instagram at the Lightly Literary Podcast. So thanks for following us there. We appreciate you always listening all the way through. Hopefully, you join us for this one. And until next time, we'll see you between the pages.